Growing in life can be more challenging than scaling a business. This is episode 226 with Jimmy DeSecco on navigating the seasons of growth. You're tuned in to Forever Athlete Radio, where together we go far. I'm your host, Corey Camp, and today I sit down with Jimmy, co-founder of Super Coffee, avid competitor, and now chief brand officer of Super Coffee, which he founded with his two brothers. We talk about the intentional decline period the company is going through, how he personally navigates those times of non-linear looking growth, the role that movement and a healthy lifestyle balance plays in his life, as well as what the future holds for Super Coffee. Before we dive into it, this episode is brought to you by the new Forever Athlete platform, an all-in-one community hub for everything you need in your journey after sports. With former athletes all over the world, it's a great place to come together and meet like-minded friends to form life teammate bonds. At Forever Athlete, we're on a mission to help athletes be healthier and happier in their next season. Come join the platform at www.forever-athlete.com. Again, that's forever-athlete.com. And now let's dive into the show. All right, Jimmy, man. Welcome to the show. Good Dude. to have you here in uh, in my house in Austin. Let's go. Happy to be here, man. Austin's been been great. How long have you been in town? Uh, coming up on a year. Memorial nice. Day weekend will be a year for me. So awesome. A little late to the party, but where'd you come from? L.A. Sweet. Yeah, did L.A. for a year, uh, year East Coast before that. So just trying to bounce around and, and find that spot. When did you guys know that Austin was gonna be? The head, HQ, the headquarters for you? So we were living in New York from like 2017 through 2020, and our lease came up in the middle of the pandemic. Like New okay. York was shut down, right? And we were like, do we really want to go find another apartment in New York City right now? So I think in the middle of 2020, we figured it out, and then I moved here in December of 2020. Okay. Yeah. Did you guys also go through that kind of weighing the options of if we got a warehouse warehouse in Austin's a lot cheaper than a warehouse in New York. For sure. Yeah. I mean, we, we considered travel. We considered, I mean, we were getting ready to raise our series C. So like a good funding ecosystem for CPG companies in Austin, whole foods is based here. So you got a lot of good advisors, a lot of good connectivity in, in food and beverage. Weather's good. Texas is business friendly. So made a lot of sense, uh, for a lot of reasons. Yeah, man. I, it's funny. I, you wouldn't, I feel like guess that from a CPG perspective, Austin is this hot spot of it. What exactly makes that ecosystem what it is? Is it because of Whole Foods and, and all these other players in the market here that it's just a good network or what have you found? Yeah, I think Whole Foods is probably the hub for, for a lot of the natural brands. You know, mm-hmm. Siete is based here, Vital Farms, the egg company is based here, um, Waterloo, you know, Nutribolt is here now. So there's a lot of a lot of food and beverage companies, but also it, it, it's such a, I don't know, it's like industry agnostic but a startup hotbed so you have tech you have food you have um ai you know and, and then you have big tech here as well with tesla with oracle with apple's got a campus facebook got a campus you know so it, it's a when when there's that much activity in a market there's going to be a lot of investors there's going to be a lot of talent uh and that, i think that's what attracted us yeah speaking of bringing talent together to one of the things that I thought was fascinating a few, was it a month or so ago you posted that you guys are opening up the HQ and, and bringing in some co-working spaces. How's that been going? Have you had a few other companies come in or just one-off solopreneurs? Yeah, dude, it's been awesome. So we had four vacant offices within our office building okay. and uh, it's just one little warehouse type building in South Austin. 
and we posted it on LinkedIn. Within the next week, we had all four offices filled up and like two to three people companies. So we have Elite Sweets, which is a, a keto donut. Mm. We have Flourish Plants, which is like fer- a, a natural fertilizer for keeping your plants alive in the house. I should have brought you one. You have yeah, a lot of freaking I, plants in here. I, and they're not doing so hot. So yeah. So. <laughs> a couple other companies. But what's cool about it is like one, the energy's high mm. and the Flourish plant girls just had a pitch for Naturally Austin on Wednesday night. And uh, Lila, one of, one of the founders, came up to me. I was just, My desk is right next to her office. And she was like, hey, can I, can I present my pitch to you? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So we got the whole office down. She, she pitched on Tuesday. We gave her some feedback. And on Wednesday, she went out and she won the pitch competition. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's been, it's been fun to, to bring that dynamic into a, a physical space again. Yeah. What has pitching been like for you? Because you, to- you just told me you've obviously no stranger now at raising capital for everything with Super Coffee related. What's that? What was that process like? Was it just like game day back in the day, or or what? Yeah, dude. So it's interesting. Um, we've like I mentioned to you we've raised over 150 million through Series C in 2021 was our our last round. And we've raised from everybody, from friends and family, angel investors, high net worth individuals to institutional capital, capital and strategic capital. Uh, and each one's a little bit different, like to, equating it to college sports. Yes, that pitch is important, but it's it's just the, the beginning of that conversation, mm. right? Like you, typically you'll send a pitch deck, you'll send materials, they'll have background on you. And then that initial meeting is when you want to get them excited. But from that point, that's where the work starts. You know, that's mm-hmm. the diligence. That's like really getting people up to speed on the brand. So the exciting part is the first meeting. And then it's probably a month of pressure of like, how do we tell this story? How do we craft the context? You know, if, if somebody's not familiar with the food and beverage industry, what do we teach them to get them mm-hmm. up to speed on the category? Um, and then, yeah, so I, I think it's a lot alike, but there's a long tail after the game. So you're telling me it's not, you walk into a room, they say, all right, we're good for 10 million. You shake on it and 10 million's wired to you right after. Dude, that's, I that's wish. Not the process. It's funny. that So we went on Shark Tank in February, 2018, and that was a cool experience. That felt like a game, right? Mm-hmm. That was one and done. There was no prep. Like they didn't see any materials on us beforehand. So that was, that was the closest thing to college sports. But later that year, we were sitting in front of a venture capital fund out in, in Santa Monica, and it was our first institutional meeting. And we, we pitched the guy, and, and he sat there. He's a pretty prolific investor, like early GoPuff, early Honey.com. Like he, he made some really good investments. And uh, he, he basically, at the end of the meeting, slid a term sheet across the table and was like, here's, here's the terms. And we're like, holy shit, like, where do we sign? <laughs> uh, and so it, that, and that, that's the rare instance where that happens. Yeah. I think the last few years, call it, I don't know, 2015 through 2021, VCs had so much money. Mm-hmm. So they were in a posi- they, they had pressure to deploy capital into deals that were, felt like good deals. Uh, so I think that happened a lot more often than not, but now in 2023, raising money is very difficult. Yeah. I was about to say, how do you prepare now knowing that it's a little bit more of a challenge and you guys are about, you just said you're entering another round, right? Coming up here. Um, how are you preparing differently because of the different markets? I think it's a different story. Like back then I I was looking back at the series C materials from 2021. My, my opening line in my email was, 
we are burning cash to grow fast. Like, and that's what people wanted. They were yeah. like, great, here's some more cash to burn. And, and obviously it's a lot more responsible than that sounds, but it was a different game and it was how fast can you grow? How fast can you take market share? You know, and then I, once you get to scale, the unit economics should work out and the mm-hmm. business should sustain itself. Uh, now it's, why aren't you guys profitable, right? And so we're dialing back growth. We're actually going to decline revenue this year, discontinuing SKUs, reducing the marketing spend, uh, and we're going to improve EBITDA by 20 million bucks. Like that's that's the goal it is to get as close to profitability as possible this year and then get back to growth next year. So it's a little tricky trying to explain that to an investor. Like mm-hmm. they see see red next to, to growth. They're like, why are, we, why are we declining? And it's all intentional to improve the profit. Mm. Have you seen uh, the We Crash series yes. on uh, Apple TV? Or it was Apple TV or Hulu, one of them. Um, that was like pretty eye-opening to, to burn. Hopefully, you guys weren't going through $2.1 million a day. No. Like WeWork was back in the day. No, that is crazy. <laughs> it's funny. So so we had a front row seat to that. Adam Newman was one of our early investors at Super Coffee. Wow. And he with his investment, he was like, yeah, you can work in my buildings for free. You can live in my buildings for free. Like, let's, let's go do this. That was... 2018 is when we when mm-hmm. we first met Adam, maybe 2017 actually, uh, before Shark Tank, and we they they sold their stock in Super Coffee at our Series C just before everything kind of crumbled. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. How did I'm curious to know like how do you go from you played at Colgate? Um, what was that experience like there, and how do you go from that into being connected as well as you are now to the Adam Newmans of the world, the, the JLo's, like all these big name investors that you guys have been able to connect with and network with. How, where's that gap uh, being closed, I guess? It's a good question, man. I think, so Colgate was small liberal arts school, central New York, right? Mm-hmm. Our South Syracuse, um, D1 AA football. So it was fun because like we, we play big games, you know, we play at Air Force, we play at Army, we, the, the team opened at Stanford last season. So like there's big games every now and then. So it felt competitive from a football perspective. Academics were difficult. It was liberal arts. I, I was a philosophy major and a writing minor. So it was nice. it, nothing to do with selling well, coffee. Still use that, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the, the writing and the comms piece was, is, is helpful, but it was definitely challenging and got me out of my comfort zones. But one thing I took advantage of at Colgate was any extracurricular activities. You know, they had Navy SEALs coming to speak at campus. They had former presidents. They had entrepreneurs. Uh, Chobani, the, the Greek yogurt company, is mm-hmm. based 40 minutes away from Colgate. So Hamdi Ulakaya, their founder, would come speak to us. So, like, I made it a point to always show up to those things. And, and a lot of people don't, right? Like, yeah. a lot of people don't go to office hours. A lot of people don't do the extracurricular stuff. So that, that got me thinking of, like, wow, we have all this these humans coming here. How do I connect with them? And, and so I was the captain of the football team my senior year. I started a newsletter for all football alumni and we have football alumni in every industry, mm. real estate, media, entertainment, you name it. And pretty high up a small school. There's people that are, are pretty well connected in different places. So basically I would send an email the Friday night before every Saturday game with like dirty details, who's feeling good in practice, who's playing well, who like what's what's the scouting report that you can't read on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, I just grew that list. And I ended up just networking with all these amazing alumni. And I think I, I was able to turn that skill set into fundraising at Super Coffee. But that, that all happened in college. Yeah. So you were in newsletters before they're hot. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I should have got some advertising back then. Damn it. Yeah. You know, if you could go go and do it over again. Oh, and I think that's that's awesome. How did you balance, uh, and maybe balance isn't the right word, because we both know coming, I swam at Delaware 
Um, so also D1, AA yeah. football program, CAA versus Patriot League. But um, obviously balance doesn't really exist, and I don't think balance is the right goal. It never is the right goal. We think that that's where we want to shoot for. But when you're in going through in-season, working on a newsletter, playing all the responsibilities that come with captain, film, you name it, how are you finding the time to make it a priority to go to these events, to see these other founders and entrepreneurs coming in and, and speaking? Yeah, I I think it's packing a schedule. Like I think the first thing that got got cut was quiet time, social mm-hmm. time, rest, you know, and this like this, I, I didn't know what a podcast was back then. Yeah. So I didn't know the Tim Ferriss and the Andrew Huberman's talking about meditation and NSDR, right? Like not sleep, deep rest and all this stuff. So like rest wasn't really a part of it, but I went to bed early. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't up late. And then I, I, I do believe that when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Mm-hmm. So like I wasn't the best student, you know, I think I had like a three O GPA, but I wasn't the guy that was going to be in the library studying until midnight, you know, so I'd rather be, if I had a paper due, like I'd probably go to the Hamdi Ulakaya talk for an hour and then try and go write a paper. Yeah. I was going to say, we share that same, yeah. <laughs> same approach. I'd be like, you know, am I really going to, if I stay up another three hours and study, maybe I'll boost my percentage on this exam or this test the next day by 5%. Yeah. Is that worth losing three hours of sleep? No, I'm good. I totally. Got, I got five for 30 practice the next morning. That's that's going to be the focus. Totally. So I, I feel that, man. I feel that. And you guys, at what point did you start Super Coffee? Because I thought it started, was it out of your dorm room or one of your brothers? Jordan, my okay. youngest brother, uh, started it in 2015. So I graduated in May of 2015. Okay. Through that letter I was sending, I got a job on Wall Street with a Colgate alum, real nice. estate finance job. And three months after I started that job, Jordan called me and told me he was dropping out of school to start Super Coffee. So uh, I quit the job in like August of 2015 and we got started, uh, sold our first bottle in like November of 2015. But we always say that 2016 was like our first year in business. Nice. I still vividly remember finding, I want to say it was probably, probably spring 2017. I went to go visit one of my best friends, swam at Columbia. Uh, up in the city and went to go visit him and go into the bodega and finding my first bottle of super coffee. And Let's being go. Like, what is this? Protein and coffee? Let's go. That's where, did, awesome. where did the idea really kind of originate and come from? Because yeah. I'd never seen anything like that. And coffee was still like new to me too at that point. Yeah. Uh, Jordan was in, I don't know, he's taking business classes his freshman year. And one of the case studies was on the bottled coffee market. And he mm-hmm. learned that Starbucks had a, it was a $2 billion category. Starbucks did 92% of the sales in the category. Uh, everything was loaded with sugar, loaded with calories, and it was stuff that he didn't want to drink, you know, and coffee is a very popular uh, beverage. It's a, it's a social product all over the world. And he, so he started brewing coffee in his dorm room, mainly because he was falling asleep in class, you know, less from the business perspective. And uh, he added protein, he added MCT oil, he added extra, extra coffee to make it strong. Uh, and it worked, it worked for him and his teammates and, and, uh, it worked so well that he, he did a little business plan and ended up dropping out of school. I love that. I was about to say, I like, I remember discovering coffee, probably my late junior year of college and kicking myself. I was like, you mean to tell me that I wouldn't fall asleep in chem 103 if I had this thing in freshman year? Like what, totally. what was oh I doing gosh. to myself there? Uh, walk us through that next bit. Like you, you, he drops out. 
you quit the job. What was that thought process even like? Um, obviously, you trust your your brothers here to to go into business and kind of put a good thing off to the side and go all in on it. Um, what was the deliberation and the the thought process behind it? Yeah, I think it was more like naive optimism back then. <laughs> you know, like we didn't. I didn't know any better. I didn't know how hard it was going to be, and I think that's why we've been able to. Uh, sort of run hard at problems because mm. I mean knowing what we know now we never would have done this like this shit has been so hard this is year eight for us you know we're, we're still not profitable grateful for all the challenges we have but it's been a freaking battle um, so the thought process was like yeah I see the opportunity I think it's I think it w- w- there is a, a, a void in the market for a healthy coffee that tastes good and gives you energy um, and I think we can do it like the, the, the secret or not the secret, but the only thing that matters in the beverage industry is selling a lot of beverages. Mm. So three months before we sold our first coffee, like I was a, still a college athlete. Right. And Jordan was a, a college athlete. My brother Jake was still in fo- football at Georgetown. And, uh, like all we knew was like that kind of hard work, right. Waking up for practice, going to class, going to film after going to the, the talks at night. Mm. And, so that's what we did. We're like, let's, let's brew the coffee by hand. Let's pour samples. Let's stock the shelves and let's, pour, uh, not leave this store until we're the best selling coffee. And then we'll go to the next store down the street and do that same thing. So it wasn't like, let's put it on the shelf and hope it sells. It's mm-hmm. let's put it on the shelf, stand next to it every single day, explain to every single person who walks by what this is and why they should buy it. And a lot of people bought it cause they felt bad for us. Uh, <laughs> but that's how we got started, man. And that's, uh, I mean, we did that for a year and a half before we, we expanded to, to Baltimore and then Philly and then DC or Philly and then New York. Nice, man. It's, I think, I don't know if a lot of people realize you guys still uh, on occasion are still doing the samples, um, at Costco on off of Ben White down here, right? A couple times a month. That's it, man. Uh, what's that process like year eight? Uh, I think it speaks volumes to you guys as founders that you're still so hands-on and still, uh, boots on the ground, making this thing happen. Was that a like purposeful decision or, or what's the thought process there? Yeah, I think it goes back to that day one mentality of you can't put a product on the shelf and expect it to sell. Even today, like we have more awareness, we have more like the the product is better than it was eight years ago, you know, it gets better every year. Uh, And I I think in 2021, we got a little bit comfortable, we raised a $100 million round, you know, we, we got a fancy office down here, we hired a bunch of executives. And we're like, look, the brand, now we can sit back and focus on other things, whether it's marketing or sales or like, we're not, we don't need to raise money anymore. So I'm not pitching investors. And we got away from the product. You know, we got away from the stuff that built the brand. So I'm actually working on a LinkedIn post right now. It's like a letter from my 2018 self to my 2023 yeah. self. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you've got comfortable. Why are you not pouring samples? Like your product is just sitting on the shelf collecting dust. And I think right now it's been a hard year for our team and we'll never ask our team to do something. We'll kind of lead them to that. And it's like, if, if we expect somebody to pour samples on a Saturday of the holiday weekend, like Memorial Day, like this is a great weekend for beverages because so many people are going to the grocery store to stock up for their parties and their graduations. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like, if we expect somebody to give up their Saturday to go sell our product, we're going to be right there with them doing it. Mm. That speaks volumes to you guys, man. I think it can be, I mean, it's easy to raise a hundred million dollar round, kick back, feed her up. And regardless if the company itself is profitable, I'm sure there's a level of like, okay, at least now we got a longer runway. We don't have to have this sense of urgency. 
how do you balance that sense of urgency with you mentioned earlier, like now listening to some podcasts with the Tim Ferriss's and the Huberman's of the world and, and learning about intentional quiet time and rest while also trying to run this, this thing. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's an endless amount of work, right? And I'm not the, like, I hate this hustle culture. I hate like grinding. Uh, so the work stops when I stop, you know, and, and usually, I mean, I start early, like I get to the office by seven, seven thirty. uh, I'll be, I'll be at the office until six or seven. So 10 to 12 hour days, you know, and, and so it's, it's 60 hour weeks, right? It's not 80 to a hundred hour weeks mm-hmm. by any means. Uh, and I think with, with that, the work stops when I stop. So when I get home, like I'm present for my girlfriend, you know, we're, we're going for walks, we're going out to dinner, you know, we're hanging out. Uh, we're, we're watching the crown right now on Netflix, getting through that, which has been, been fun. Uh, so I think making sure that time is, is available. And when, when, whatever it is, whether it's a girlfriend or a book or, or a, a side hustle, like be present for it. Mm-hmm. And, and that allows me to kind of shut, switch off. Uh, and then I think fitness is a big component too. I try to get some type of movement in every yeah. day. I was about to say, I'm sure that's like such a non-negotiable. I, I see it go usually one or two ways for a lot of former athletes. It's either like I still view it as this non-negotiable, my day is incomplete if I don't get some sort of sweat in, or people being like good riddance, like I'm so grateful that I'm done with all that crazy structure. How have you found that process for you, like adjusting to – because you're getting into triathlon, you're finding, I think you do a little bit of pickleball as well outside of that. Like, are you viewing more fitness through this lens of this is a fun thing that I get to go now explore? Whereas in the past it was like, I was kind of boxed into, I could only really do football related activities to get better at football. Yeah, dude, it's such a good question. Like for the first couple of years coming out of college, it's like we were basically professional weightlifters for four years, you know? So like that's all I knew was Olympic lifts, like who can bench more? Like let's put 225 on the bar and go to town. Just go like, for reps. Yeah, back squats. <laughs> and, and for a couple of years out of college, like I, I was carrying 200 pounds, you know, and, and just doing that, those 60 to 90 minute weightlifting sessions. And then I did a, I, I did my first triathlon in 2016 mm. and got into this. I mean, I don't think it was called the hybrid athlete back then, but like this hybrid stuff where it's, you're basically doing strength and endurance. Mm. Uh, and then there was this event in the city. Like we, we, we always try to sign up for events because it holds you accountable. It's something you got to yeah. train for. And back then I was not interested in running marathons, you know? you don't go from a college running back to wanting to run 26 <laughs> miles. Like running was punishment for us. So like I wasn't a runner right away. Uh, but there was this event in New York city called the D 10. It was held at, at Columbia and it's a decathlon, but it was like a decathlon met the NFL combine. So like there was a bench press component, there was pull-ups, there was a 400 meter dash. And, and I'm like, damn, this is sweet. So we did that every year for like three or four years. And then, uh, once I moved down to Austin, I got a lot more into endurance. My, my girlfriend ran track in college. So, okay. uh, we met at a triathlon and, and her and I, I mean, I think because I'm dating her, I've gotten into, uh, racing a lot more. Yeah. That's awesome, man. What's been your favorite race so far that you guys have done? Dude, the coolest one. So we met at the Captex Tri, which is the Memorial yeah. Day Triathlon. That's what I got coming up on Monday. Uh, she's beaten me each of the last two years. So I got I got it coming out with a – she's got a target on her back. Uh, so this will be year three of that. But the fun race is it's a tandem triathlon that we do. Mm. It's down in San Marcos and uh, Martindale. We, so she runs the first seven miles. 
and then she passes me the baton. I bike 16, I think 19 miles on my bike. And then together we get in a kayak, a two person kayak, okay. and we kayak down the San Marcos River for six miles. So that's a that's a cool one. We've done that for two years in a row. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I think it's it's really fun, honestly, to when you start to shift that perspective from the well, if this is all I know and I stay in that box, right? Like I I went uh it's funny, I I was a distance swimmer, so my um college strength coach was very much the philosophy is like you can't put on muscle. So we did like very generic, boring weight lifts. So I almost rebelled that first year out. I was like, I'm just, I'll show them. I'm going to do a six day a week bodybuilding split and, and get big. And I got big, but I didn't know anything about nutrition there. So that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, it's funny though, to just see that journey for different athletes as they're coming out and they're trying to explore like, all right, I can stay limited in the 60 to 90 minute lifts. But at some point, I would imagine, like as business picks up, as life picks up, do you find that you don't have, you also didn't have time for like the 90 minute lifts, and you were also maybe not looking forward to them the same because it had been five, six, seven years straight of that being your workout. For sure, I, and it, it was the time component that was mm-hmm. tough, and you'd, you'd be in a hotel room like with shitty 50 pound dumbbells, you know, a couple treadmills, and you have to get ready for your first meeting. So like for me, I've gotten very efficient with 20 minutes, you know, like you can fuck yourself up in 20 minutes and you get that hotel gym, right? You're doing power cleans with the dumbbells. Like you're getting in between the treadmills and doing dips on the railings. Like you get, you get super creative, but more importantly, it's just constant motion where I, I think a 90 minute lift in football is, is kind of silly where like, you're hitting your five, five reps and then you're recovering for three minutes. Mm-hmm. And, and now in a 20 minute window, there's no recovery. Uh, so you get a great pump, you get a great, you get your heart rate up and you get back to work. I was about to say, those were the, I think you also realize when you go from the athlete only gyms in college where it's pretty nice when there's an abundance of 20 racks and you can kind of take your time and you go to your first commercial gym and you all it takes is one other like power lifter kind of person there totally taking the five minutes, the three minutes in between sets. And you're just like, Jesus Christ, when is this guy going to like, is he going to give up the squat rack? Like it's, I want to get in there and do the same thing. Um, you realize, all right, maybe there are a little bit more efficient ways and your goal obviously changes, right? Like you don't need to be quote unquote as explosive as maybe you once did. Yeah, totally dude. And I think that's an important piece, right? Cause when you're not training for something, you don't really have a plan. And mm. and like, if you don't have a plan when you walk in the gym, it's, it's going to be inefficient. Like it's better than not going to the gym, right? Like yeah. showing up and like, Oh, there's a, there's a uh, lat pull down. Like, let me go hit that. Like you, you might not have thought about that when you walked in, but it was open. So you sat down and did it. Uh, but that's not as efficient as having a plan. So I, I've found in the last couple of years, the best thing for me is signing up for an event, committing to that with three to four months notice and then getting ready for that, Go training for that. for that, exactly. And, and I mean, a marathon is probably a good example because it's a pretty regimented program. Mm-hmm. You know, you have your hill runs on Mondays, you have your track on Wednesdays, you have your long runs on Saturdays, you know. So, like, you kind of have your week laid out, and that takes a lot of pressure off of planning. And then the other thing that I think a lot of us miss, and a lot of us probably avoid now too, former athletes, is game day. Right. Like on a, on a day of a race, like on Monday morning, when I get on the, on the dock, ready to jump in the lake for this, this triathlon, like 
I am going to have the worst butterflies, you know, like I'm going to be sweating. I'm going to be stressed out. And I live for that shit, you know, and not, not every day is game day. Like in, in college, college football, you're lucky to play 12 games a season. Mm. And I, I think you don't, you just lose that in the real world. So I would definitely push people, people who are, are struggling in that transition, sign up for a game day and get ready for it. Yeah. I think it's important. Some of the worst advice I've ever received transitioning out. People are like, well, every day is game day now. Like you gotta, you gotta prepare every day. Like welcome to to the real life uh, it's like there's something to be special i think to have and recognize that there are going to be these ups and downs throughout our life um totally it, totally yeah and if every day was game day then no, then no day is game day right and, yeah and i think i think game day could be a big investor pitch it could be your first triathlon or marathon or high rocks or whatever whatever mm-hmm. it is you want to do uh, or like maybe you're, you have a, to give a big presentation at work that you're stressed out about, like that's game day. And you have to, you have to leverage that energy and, and take that energy to the contest, uh, that you, you just don't have the day before because it's not game day. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, I think looking at, I've, I've loved looking at like heart rate variability and periodization and how we can start to like line those things up. Have you dove into any of the the biohacking metrics in that space or have you kind of found yourself like all right i'm not really looking at the data i'm just going to trust my body i'm going to show up and and go and get this thing done yeah um lately it's been that it's been not really looking at the data i wore a whoop for a couple years and that was that was interesting but i wasn't really doing anything to optimize um i think for me it's it's all about nutrition like i Mm. i took a like a full panel blood test maybe six months ago and as I was getting ready for the marathon and, and, uh, the doctor was like, yeah, dude, you're not eating enough food period. Like you need more calories. Uh, you need more carbs. Like we, I, I tend to avoid carbs and he's like, you need more carbs if you're running 20, 20 miles a day or whatever your training looks like. And so stuff like that has really helped me optimize. And now I realize like, I, I feel such a difference in a workout if I have the proper nutrition before, or if I don't. You know, and, and now like beforehand, like when I was in college and just coming out, like I would get cramped up if I went for a run or I'd get a cramp in a football game and I'd be like, why am I cramping? And now I'm like, dang, I don't have enough electrolytes. I don't have enough salt. I didn't, I didn't have my, my, my sugar beforehand. So I think optimizing those little tweaks to figure out what your energy levels need to be. Uh, I've been doing more nutrition than I have like HRV stuff. Yeah, no. And I think that truthfully is, I think the HRV is that last like point one percent tweak it's the nutrition is going to give you a lot more bang for your buck right now i just talked with um actually the episode that will be out right before this we were talking about training in texas heat and the importance of electrolytes and and all of that does your training at all shift as we get into memorial day weekend and, and onwards are you trying to get out there super early are you more of a late guy yeah i mean definitely early Every now and then, like I'll go for a 3 p.m. run when it's 100 degrees out, just to to sort just of to shock know that the you system. Still got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like it's not very productive for me. Like that's the biggest. The heat is the biggest difference, mm-hmm. and and I am I am 30 seconds faster per mile when when it's cool than I than when it's hot. You know, I could be in the same exact shape, and if it's 90 degrees versus 60 degrees, like I'm gonna be a lot slower at 90. My heart rate's gonna be a lot higher. Mm-hmm. What was um. How was your Austin Marathon experience? What'd you think of it? Did the hill surprise you at all? Because they got me last year when I did it. Yeah. Oh man, it was my first one, and like I said, I, I was never really into running a marathon. I thought for sure I'd be yeah. fine if I never ha- did in my whole life. 
but my brother ran New York in November and I was like, dang, I gotta, I gotta do it, you know, and just, just to see if I can. And I'm not somebody who like, I think it's noble to, to challenge yourself. And, mm-hmm. and if finishing a marathon is the challenge for you, God bless you, go do it. And, and, and like, it, that's freaking awesome. Going from zero to 26, like that's a, that's an awesome feat. But for me, it's like, how fast can I finish the marathon? Mm-hmm. And, and my goal was three hours. Uh, I got, I was telling you, I got plantar fasciitis during the training. So like I had to cut my mileage a little bit short. Um, and my goal, like, yeah. So, so three hour marathon is a six fifty two pace the whole time, six fifty one. And it's so hilly that you can't really run that every mile. Yeah. Right. So I was a little bit slower on the uphills, faster on the downhills. And because I wasn't fully trained, I was like, like my coach was like, look, let's just aim for 305, 310. You'll be super happy with that. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to give myself a shot. And the only way I can give myself a shot is if I run uh, like a 129, 130 half marathon. So the first half needs to be fast because knowing, like knowing me, I'm not going to, I'm not going to close the gap in the back half. Yeah. So I, I came across the half marathon point right at an hour 30 and then mile 20, everybody's like, that's the wall. You're going to hit this freaking wall. I felt good at mile 20. It was, it wasn't, I didn't hit the wall until like 23, 24. Yeah. And, uh, I ended up, I ended up finishing at three hours and one second was my time. So I was a little bit bummed. Um, the last five miles I found the pacer, you know, the guys that run with the yeah. flags. Yeah. So I found the three hour pacer and I, I sort of gained on him. Like I was ahead of him. I was like, let's go. If I beat that guy, I'm good. And that guy came in at like three hours and 30 seconds. I'm like, fuck he, he missed it by a lot it's like you were off dude <laughs> yeah yeah and but look i was super proud of it the guy i was running with was going for a, a, a sub three because that's a boston qualifier yeah. like 259 and i didn't care like i wanted that to be my one and done marathon ever and uh because he beat the pacer he was super sad because he didn't qualify for boston yeah. yet the pacer fell off that's brutal I, it's it's tough i mean coming from a background of a, of a sport where it was all about pacing and just kind of almost setting a metronome and I could do that on repeat ironically though that was only a 15 minute race it's not a three hour race yeah um but it's amazing just how a little bit of a cadence here a few seconds on each mile adds up to I mean even still like you're missing it by 30 seconds that's not that's not a ton over totally. the course of, a, of 26 miles. I know. It's just like a little disheartening. To, like to be 259.59 would have been so much better than 3001. <laughs> yeah. No, 100%. I have plenty of friends that have <laughs> unfortunately hit that time. Totally. Uh, but I noticed too, you guys, um, you did HPLT, right? With, with Mazza a couple of different times. Yep. Um, I think I originally... Um, heard about i was at the collective event that you guys you and athletic brewing just released that new collaboration uh and that came from a byproduct of these hplt right yeah yep that's right what um how how intentional are you in kind of separating yourself from work from the business and going to do these experiences like an hplt or is it kind of always in the back of your head like was the thought process, I'm going to go to this style of event and see what happens from it because I'm going to meet other high performers in this space and there might be a collaboration or two that comes out of it? Or is it, I'm looking to challenge myself in a different way. I'm going to sign up for HPLT and, and go from there. It's, it's a good question. I, I It's a tricky one because I think it's both, right? Like 
I, a lot of my relationships have come from super coffee, you know, like Mazda was an investor in super coffee. He's, he's obviously he and I become good friends beyond that, but like, I'm kind of Jimmy from super coffee, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's tough to like just show up as an athlete or, or a guy trying to compete. Uh, and a lot of times we sponsor the event or, or I'm getting on stage to tell the story of the brand and, and how we got started. Uh, but I'm also super competitive, right? It's so like, if I'm there, like I'm there to, to compete and, and mm. to, to challenge myself. Uh, so it's fun because we get to go from an event activation perspective, but also I get to go as an athlete and learn and challenge and, and do the hard stuff. It's nice yeah. to be able to wear multiple hats yeah, in exactly. that situation. Uh, what are you competing in right now outside of, outside of maybe Super Coffee? What's the, the focus and outside of triathlon as well? Is there any other kind of areas and arenas in your life that you're like, I want to really dial this in? Yeah. Um, so we got a sprint try on Monday. That's a fun one. I got my first Olympic try in September. That okay. is, uh, that's one that like when, when I first did a triathlon back in 2016, I would go for runs, I would go for bike rides and I would swim in the pool nothing intentional about it right no speed work no tempo work no yeah. distance work uh i never had swimming lessons like i was a decent swimmer but like you would beat me by two lengths in in, in a hundred meter swim unfortunately uh, you're gonna make that up on the bike <laughs> I'll tell you right now. <laughs> uh so now it's uh, like learning learning from a coach like we took i took my first swim lesson a month ago uh from natasha vandermeer like the local triathlon yeah. coach she's, she's a badass and she's such an amazing coach. And she gave me like, just on the first lesson, I had 10 things to think about. Like I wasn't breathing out underwater. Like, mm -hmm. and I, I felt gassed every time I swam, you know, she, she fixed my reach and my catch, you know, like she fixed all of it, my kicks. Uh, so it totally transformed swimming for me. Uh, so now swimming is a, an entirely new sport. And I want to, I want to pick your brain after this about how I can get better for Monday. Uh, and then same thing with biking. I haven't even got to my first bike lesson yet, but like, there's all kinds of tweaks you can do with power and understanding like RPMs and, and when to go hard, when to, when to let off and like how to kind of stay in a good zone. Uh, and I just never thought about any of that. Yeah. You know, I just swim hard, run hard, bike hard. Well, I was about to say coming from a background where the only change of speed would be probably just waiting to see where the hole opens up on the O-line and, and hitting it and going totally from there versus I, mean, I hear that all the time. Um, talked with Matt Troy, uh, other former football player getting into the running space. Right. Yep. He was like, dude, I was so confused when I learned that there was multiple speeds to running. Like I thought running just meant go out and go as hard as you could go. Right. And same thing with swimming. Like I've, I've now taught swimming for eight plus years at, at various levels and that's usually the first like eye-opening thing to people um, just really in the world of endurance sport in general is like it's not meant to be the same exact tempo and the same exact speed for the entirety. In fact, the, the way you get better at it is by actually varying that speed at different times. And it opens up this whole new world. It becomes this exciting thing rather than I'm just going to go out and run three miles today. Yeah, you know? dude, totally. And I've, ne I've never gotten to the point where like, I enjoy running, you know, and uh, like I, I, I do it now because it, it's helpful and, and I do feel good afterwards, but it's not like I'm on a run enjoying this runner's high you yeah. know? And, and before the run, I kind of dread it, but like understanding that the long, slow runs make you faster by training your heart rate. Like that's something that I'm still trying to accept 
because basically the whole idea about these long runs is let's say your, your goal pace is 651 your 20 mile long run might be a nine minute pace and t- mm-hmm. to me like that kills me i'm like why am i running nine minutes this is stupid <laughs> this is a waste of time but it's training your heart rate to to come down so like if my if I run a 5K right now at a 651 pace. My heart rate might be 190, you know, and yeah. the idea of the long runs is to run that same 651 pace with your heart rate at 150, you know, yeah. and, and like that's where elite athletes get to it. Like when Kipchoge runs a marathon, he might be running a 430 pace, but his heart rate's only at 140, 150, which is crazy. And And for me, like conditioning, when I think of conditioning, it's okay, I just need to get more comfortable at 190. You know, yeah. it's not trying to get my heart rate down. It's like, just get used to suffering at 190. Uh, and- well, I was about to say, when conditioning was taught to you in the form of, all right, we got suicides, we got sprints, we got, you know what I mean? We got 10 100s on whatever. And totally. you're just, you're gassed. And yeah, then you're you're getting used to going the same time, but doing it tired, doing right. it gassed. And that has a place for sure. But yeah, that's not going to be what gets you to the conditioning level that you would quote unquote need to be to go with sub three. That's right. If that's the the goal. Uh, I think that's, that's really interesting. Do you, out of more curiosity, do you run with headphones? No headphones? Um, when I do my training runs, I'll, I'll listen to a podcast. Okay. And then when I did the marathon, no headphones, headphones. just like I wanted to hear myself suffer and like the mass, but like one, it's helpful for me to hear my breathing, hear my feet, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and the marathon was cool. Cause like you hear people cheering for you and shouting to you and stuff. Uh, but the last six miles is like just me yelling at myself, like talking to myself, hearing my breath, trying to control it. Uh, and, and just trying to, I would say positive self-talk, but I was like, come on, you little bitch. It wasn't very positive. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you think you default to that versus, is that just conditioning from years of like, that was what you were used to, to hearing and motivating yourself. Does that motivate you more than, I mean, I'm with you to me. Like the thought of me having a a self-talk and be like, come on, dude, you got this. Like just push a little harder. Yeah. You're so yeah. strong for being here. I'm like, shut up. That's not the voice that is popping in my head either. Yeah. And for me, it, like it's, it's less about what I'm actually saying and more about just like kind of screaming because I'm in pain. Like, like rather it's, it's a, a, a sigh or a grunt or like something guttural. Like that is, that's really what, why I don't wear the headphones is just to be yelling. Yeah. To, to be in your head with that. Um, do you notice that same self-talk kind of translates over into the business side of things or what's the, what's going on through your head through like the day to day and the operation side? Yeah. I think I've built up like conditioning kind of builds calluses. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I've, I've definitely built business calluses. So, uh, like persevering, even when it sucks and when you want to quit, like that is, is something that I've, you just kind of just endure, you learn to endure in at, at work and like, with that, when, when a problem arises, there's no more panic. There's no more stress. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, how are we going to solve this problem? All right. Like, okay. The, uh, uh, just this week we had a hundred thousand cases. So 1.2 million bottles of mocha latte didn't pass QA at the factory. So like that could be, that could be $5 million in revenue that we're not going to collect because it didn't pass the, the quality test. And, and a couple of years ago, that would put us out of the business. Mm. And now it's like, what can we do to make sure our customers know about this? Our distributors know about this. The manufacturers held accountable to this. Like we'll, we'll figure out the insurance on the back end, but 
we're going to have empty shelves all over the country now. Like, how do we handle that? So like you get into a problem solving mode that is calm and productive and proactive rather than like reactive and stressful and panicky. Yeah. What's, what's been the maybe biggest challenge that you guys have faced or was there ever that oh shit moment of kind of like that, right? Like a few years ago, that would have maybe doors closed on super coffee. If that goes down, have you had a scarier moment where your heart rate just sinks or your heart sinks into your chest and you're like all right we i don't know anymore yeah dude like the the early days were super stressful mm-hmm. and it's funny now looking back like the problems were so small compared to the problems that we have today and and like we ordered this first batch of bottles from china and because it was the cheapest bottles we could find it took six weeks we had to, my dad went and like fought through customs to like get them you know and and uh it was we, we got them and when we filled them up all of the caps started leaking so like our whole livelihood depended on that. And mm. and that was like stressful, sad. Like that was, that was an oh shit moment of like, this is, this isn't going to work. You know, like we're not going to start this business. Uh, but you, you figure it out and you get through it. I think not getting a deal on shark tank, not even getting an offer on shark tank mm. felt really bad. You know, like we thought you, you tell yourself the worst stories, like, Oh my God, when this goes live on national television, people are not only going to laugh at us, they're never going to buy our products and never try our stuff. And, and, Obviously, like that's just a negative, negative self-talk and not reality. Yeah. Why take the risk? Why, why continue to play the game at this point? Um, has anything changed as to why you're taking the risk from 2015 days to to now? Yeah, I think one, it's my lifestyle, right? Jimmy from Super Coffee, and and I think not only that, but I believe in what we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. We sell a zero sugar latte in in a country where. Uh, most of our calories are consumed from our beverages. There's added sugar everywhere. Like the average American adult male should only consume 25 grams of sugar per day. There's 46 grams of sugar in one Starbucks Frappuccino. So I believe in what we're doing. I think that it's an uphill battle. Um, I think that it's really hard to be first in a category and, and sort of define that category. Uh, I think I, I, I like the challenge. I like that the odds are against us, you know, mm-hmm. so there's definitely some ego involved and less about like proving others wrong and more about like proving to ourselves that we can do this. And then finally, like I feel very accountable and responsible to uh, my investors, to my employees, to our customers, our distributors, like we have a job to do. And a lot of people are hoping that we can, we can do it. So, uh, we got a lot of wood left to chop. Yeah. How does your brand strategy change maybe from early days being like, I'm just going to throw rocks at the Starbucks of the world because they don't know you to now. I'm, I'm sure they're aware of you. You know what I mean? Like I, I love the famous story of, um, the Under Armour CEO, like writing a, a Christmas card to, to Phil Knight at Nike every single year being like, Hey, you're going to know me. You're going to know me soon. And like now, obviously they know each other. Um, how does that, how does your strategy change now? Eight years in, I'm sure the Starbucks is of the world are aware of Jimmy from super coffee and, and the super coffee brothers at this point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And in the early days, like there, there was accounts stores where we would sell faster than Starbucks, mm. but on one off basis, that doesn't even show up in the data, right? Like they don't care about us. And every year coffee companies start and then fail, right. And fade away. And so like maybe a brand gets a 10 million or 20 million in sales. Cool. Not really a threat. Not going to see an impact on the P and L. But like I said, when, when we started, Starbucks had a 92% market share today, Starbucks has a 65% market share. It's not all due to us. There's a lot of competitors out there. Uh, but what Starbucks is doing now is telling a category story against us, basically saying, look at how small super coffee is to, uh, compared to us. 
they their size in the market should be reflected by the shelf space that you give them. So this is, sorry, this is a Starbucks category manager talking to the buyer at Walmart, mm-hmm. talking to the buyer at Target, right? So like they're going in and, and they're the category captain. So they have the weight to do this. They're going in telling a story to this buyer saying super coffee is tiny. They're sugar-free. There's not a sugar-free category yet. Uh, why do they have eight facings on this shelf when they should only have two facings mm. and targets like, wow, you're right. The data is there. Hey, super coffee. I'm bringing you down to two facings, you know? So, so now Starbucks <laughs> is, is sort of, uh, strategically maneuvering against us. And I think the story that we tell is how incremental we are to the category. Mm. Like we super, super coffee customers don't drink Starbucks. So it's not like if you put us on the shelf, we're going to hurt their sales. We're bringing people into the category that expands the category. Uh, so I think we do have a moat around that increment incrementality story. Yeah. Does it feel good to have Starbucks at least like knowing you guys by name and, and kind of almost playing that game of like, well, all right, they're doing something now let's, let's pull out a playbook and, and try to change the strategy up on their end of things a little bit. Yeah. I think it's, it's like, all right, we're, we're with the big dogs now, but they've definitely made our lives a lot harder. Uh, <laughs> And you wouldn't have it any other way, though. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. It's just new problems to solve. Nice, nice. Um, what's on the horizon for you guys? What's what's the focus 2023 uh, and what you guys are continuing to build beyond that? Yeah, so our core super coffee, these 12-ounce bottles, um, this this is the bulk of our business. And this is mo- mainly sold in the, con- in the uh, grocery channel. So grocery stores, Whole Foods, Target, et cetera. Um, and in 2022, we got this in a lot of gas stations as well. What we learned is this doesn't sell well in gas stations. And it's, it's, a, it's a demographics thing. So females, grocery store shoppers, 80% female. Uh, convenience store is 80% male. And the, the, the head of the household, the females, like they're looking for low sugar. They're looking for low calorie. So they buy a super coffee. They like it. If, if you try a super coffee, it doesn't taste like there's 46 grams of sugar. It's super sweet, mm. but then there, you taste the monk fruit, you taste the stevia, right? It's a natural sweetener aftertaste for guys like me and you, like we, we might be okay with that because we don't want 46 grams of sugar and this is still sweet and satisfying and gives us energy. The guy who shops the convenience stores is the blue collar worker on his way to the construction site. You know, he's going in, he's getting his breakfast sandwich. He's getting a full sugar monster. He's getting a full sugar mm. Red Bull. Uh, so he doesn't like the monk fruit aftertaste. You know, he doesn't want something that tastes healthy. He wants something that tastes good and gives him energy. So this summer we're launching, it's called Super Coffee Extra. It's a 15 ounce can of coffee. It's badass uh, graphics, badass branding, very different than than our core Super Coffee bottle. And it's sweetened with sucralose. So it's an artificial sweetener, still zero sugar, zero calorie, but it's the same thing that Celsius is sweetened with and mm. Quest Bars and Ghost and Monster and C4. Um, so it tastes amazing. It tastes like a freaking milkshake and it looks cool for that, that audience. So f- for us, our goal is to open up the gas station channel with this product line. Yeah. That's a well played. I think, uh, it's, it's hard to change someone completely from where they're at. So totally. I love that you guys are at the capacity now to complete, like really create a whole new product line and meet a whole new demographic where they're at. To eventually bridge them over and, right. and bring them in and just introduce them into the space. I think that's awesome, man. I want to uh, end things here with the fast five. They're going to be just five rapid fire, one word, one answer, or one sentence answers. First one is, you mentioned podcasts. What's your go-to podcast that you're listening to right now? 
Pivot, Prof G and Kara Swisher. Scott Galloway and Kara Swisher, Pivot nice. Podcast. Nice. Good choice. Number two, what's your favorite book that you've read in the past year? Smart Brevity. It's from the, the founders of Axios and Politico. It's it's how to say more with less. It makes you all a better writer. It's I, awesome. I just finished it. Let's go. I, I noticed that theme in your uh, LinkedIn posts and yeah, the content sure. you put out. Uh, number three, what is something that you can't live without? Ooh. I keep a golf ball in my bag and I roll out my feet wherever I go with this golf ball, uh, just mainly from the, the fasciitis, but it's a daily routine. I can't live without my golf ball. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What's number four. What's a quote that you live by? It's never as good or as bad as it seems. Mm. Number five, if you could sum up the focus for you right now, and then just one word, what's that word? Focus. That's what it is. Is like I I have a terrible tendency of task switching and multitasking, and and I think focus on the task at hand and go deep with it. How do you handle that in uh, in a business where you have a plethora of options? There's always there's you can go into more convenient stores, grocery stores. Like, how do you justify the focus? We got away from it in the last couple of years. You know, we we raised that big round in 2021, and the, the pressure was on growth. So we launched new SKUs, we launched new flavors, we launched new distributors, we hired new people, we spent money on new things, and now we're contracting everything. Like mm. we just discontinued 30 SKUs that we make. You know, we reduced our marketing spend from 15 million to 5 million, and we're just getting back to the core focus of how do we grow our core super coffee. And I think people are always looking for a silver bullet, right? And and there there isn't one. So like the way you grow, the way you build a valuable business is by the boring basics. And that's why we're in stores every weekend pouring samples because that's that's what is required. Like, but that's the basics. Yeah. Second to last question. What's yeah. your favorite flavor? <laughs> oh, mocha latte, baby. The OG. That's, hopefully, you guys get your hands on some, some uh, new product of that soon. Yes, <laughs> exactly that right. That oh little hiccup. Um, Jimmy, man, thanks for, for stopping by, coming on the show. I just want to appreciate you and you got it you're a busy man you got triathlons to train for <laughs> samples to pour and you're running around running this business um where can those people find you connect with you learn more whether it be buying super coffee checking things out from there yeah man i would say check us out on instagram at drink super coffee uh, my brothers and i are on there all the time so you can connect with us through the, the drink super coffee instagram uh and we'll uh we'll see you on the trail beautiful until next week flow on my friends <laughs>